What up, AOTA family? Welcome to Passing Period and All the Above Podcast Extra. My name is Manuel Rustin, aka your favorite teacher's favorite teacher, and Passing Period is a all the above extra that we like to drop in between our full all of the above episodes. So if you are new to our show, if you are new to all of the above, know that we have super dope guests and, and we covered a whole range of headlines and, and critical analysis of all the dope things happening in education and the not so great things happening in education. And those full episodes normally drop about every two weeks and they are on YouTube as well as po uh, podcast format. So it takes a while to edit all that video and do all that. So in between those full episodes with our guests and all that, we drop these passing periods where it's just Jeff and myself checking in on stories that we might've missed and things that might've happened in between our full episodes. And with all that being said, Jeff, we are almost halfway almost halfway through Black History Month. There's been a lot of shenanigans out there. There's been a lot of um, not so great stuff happening in the world of of just race and racism and, um, you know, the, the Joe Rogan stuff and the just the NFL coaching stuff. We could go on and on, but I'm hoping you're hanging in there during what has become a tough time of year because of all the shenanigans out there as people just stumble over trying to even consider how to honor the brilliance and excellence of black folks in in the United States. So how are you doing, man? How are you doing? Oh, man. Well, I'm doing uh, doing great, uh, I have to say. I have uh, a family member in town who's visiting, and this is the first time that this has happened since uh, <laughs> since the pandemic. Okay. So, um, you know, that's a wonderful thing. Uh, great, great to uh, to just you know be around family. Um, so, to your actual question uh, about Black History Month, I would respond to your question with a question, which is, uh, can we still celebrate Black History Month? I thought. <laughs> I thought that joint was illegal now, man. It sounded like some cultural Marxist uh, CRT to me, man. What's uh, Do I need to report you to the commission here? <laughs> yeah, you know what? Actually, that, that brings up a great point because depending on where you are uh, teaching or working, yeah, it it might just be all history month or something like that. And actually, The Onion had a just the perfect headline. Um, the Onion had a, a headline. It was something along the lines of... Um, Teacher fired for breaking state's critical race theory laws after telling students she's black. The funniest freaking thing, because like basically, yes, they are shutting down any and all mentions of race to the degree that like it just ain't safe out here. Not that it ever really was safe, but it's definitely not safe right now to uh, openly and excitedly and proudly explore the intricacies of race and racism in America's past and present and future. So yeah, man, wild times, man. But we knew that. We've wild. been knew that. Yeah, wild times uh, <laughs> indeed. And uh, I got I got to jump on the uh, the celebration of the onion because they also had a, uh, a headline <laughs> recently that I was like, sometimes the onion is just too perfect, man. And the headline reads, school calendar jumps to March 1st after critical race theory ban prohibits month of February. <laughs> and I'm like, that's, that, it's funny, but it's like, honestly, I could, I wouldn't be surprised if Florida or Texas or somebody was just like, nah, man, February's out of here. Like, we're replacing February with All Lives Matter month. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, Blue Lives Matter month, for that matter. Um, yeah. Uh, but in all seriousness, happy Black History Month, everybody. It is, uh, uh, it's an important, 
uh, time of the year um, to just uh, step back, celebrate, um, you know, the genius, brilliance, and uh, contributions of black peoples to this thing that is America and um, the legacy that uh, our ancestors have, have left for us here that continues today. So happy black history to all. Indeed, indeed. Now, Jeff, you know, we like to be forward thinking here at all of the above. And, you know, I think it, it, it might be time. It might be time. I know a lot of people don't want to hear this, but it might be time to start thinking about how we're going to get back to evaluating these teachers and making sure that the teachers that we have in our classrooms are high quality. And, you know, we have to, of course, tie that to test scores. And, of course, with all this learning loss, it's more important than ever that we get some uh, robust testing going on so we could get to evaluating these teachers who are plentiful enough right now, Jeff. We have, we have so many folks in the profession that we could definitely use evaluations to to maybe weed out some of the not so great ones, Jeff, because I, I think there are folks out there circling around this upcoming data that will be coming out from all these different states from their return to state testing, although some never left state testing during this pandemic. And I think it'll be um, a time for like a a bit of a back to business, back to high stakes accountability for teachers and students alike. And I think that's what we are going to be talking about today, Jeff. What does the future of teacher evaluation look like now that evidently, apparently, we're out of this pandemic and we could take our masks off and go back to business as usual? So what do we got, Jeff? Yeah, uh, that's, there's a lot in that question, uh, Manuel. And I want to start by uh, just acknowledging um, a person who uh, inspired us to think about this topic today. And uh, we were reading this article by Peter Green uh, in The Progressive uh, from about a week ago, February 3rd. Um, and it's called The Critical Flaw Behind Teacher Evaluations. Uh, we'll link it in the description below. Um, and, you know, he, he really, I think, uh, gives sort of an overview of uh, the sort of political climate that enveloped our profession in the tail end of the No Child Left Behind era and then persisted in many ways, even without the, the sort of ridiculous everyone's going to be proficient by 2014 uh, outcomes statements. Um, but certainly this culture of kind of value-added measures um, and the, the philosophy, I guess is maybe the right word, that says, you know, what we need to do to improve education is identify the effective teachers and the ineffective teachers and then weed out um, the ineffective teachers, right? Um, and, you know, we've had enough time now to actually do some learning about what happened during that era and there's a, a new report, a uh, relatively new report, I think it's from December um, of 2021, that came out of the Annenberg um, Institute, I guess, at Brown University. I'm sorry if I said that wrong. Uh, called The Effect of Teacher Evaluation on Achievement and Attainment Evidence from Statewide Reforms. Uh, that was looking at, you know, with all these teacher evaluation systems and the you know, accountability testing systems and the intermingling of those two things, what happened? And in a nutshell, what happened was very little. <laughs> that there, there, you know, the intended effect, which I do want to point out, I think comes from a good place uh, from the standpoint of saying, like, we need effective teachers in classrooms. And 
historically, we haven't done a great job as a profession, I think, of, of identifying what it means to be effective and training everybody to do effective things, um, even though what effective things means is, is a, you know, is a complex uh, statement, right? And very contextual and all of that. But well-motivated as it may have been, um, you know, there were some costs uh, to that system as anyone who was, you know, teaching or an administrator or working in schools at that time can probably attest to, and as the author of this piece attests to, which is, you know, creating a kind of fear-based punitive culture, um, you know, tons of energy, time, costs going into testing infrastructure, um, you know, uh, value-added measures, producing all kinds of reports to share with different audiences to, you know, to sort of communicate all this information and yielded very little results, right? Um, and there's, you know, there's probably a million reasons for that, right? Like probably some user error stuff. Probably it's just not that good of a system. Probably the tests are flawed and racist. Probably, you know, all kinds of conditions outside of school that impact learning in school. It's probably all that stuff and 10 other things too, right? Um, however, what's very intriguing to me about this, uh, Manuel, is I am very much uh, afraid that we are headed towards repeating the sins of the past, shall we say, on this issue of teacher yeah. evaluation and on like how we use our accountability system. Because let's be real, pretty much no matter what we do, the test scores are, are gonna show some reduction this spring. Unless they unless they politically do something like mess with the cut scores or whatever and just, you know, sort of make it politically look the same so the governor looks good for the election or whatever, right? Which is a possibility. But if we're sort of keeping the bar the same, like, you know, like everything else in society, <laughs> literally everything else has been negatively impacted by the pandemic, unless you're a billionaire and then you might be flying to space or whatever. But uh, the rest of us <laughs> have been negatively impacted by this. So it's totally predictable that our students would be negatively affected by this as well. Uh, and instead of being like, yep, that's too bad. How do we love our students? How do we support our educators in doing their already really difficult job that's now even more difficult, right? I worry that we're gonna go back to this no child left behind, race to the top. How do we diagnose who the good ones and the bad ones are and then kick, you know, kick the bad ones out, right? And I am, for the record, very much in favor of making sure we have effective teachers in front of our students, especially our black, brown, uh, indigenous, low-income students of all sorts. You want to be a, a bummy person? Cool. Go teach in the rich suburbs where they don't need you. <laughs> like, I, whatever. Have that conversation out there. But you're going to come into our communities? You better bring your A game. And I believe that. And also, this stuff we did uh, in the, you know, the Bush and Obama years was no bueno. So... Um, that's my take on it, Manuel. I, I don't know if you share the fear about this or if you're see, uh, seeing or feeling something different. I don't know. Maybe you've had uh, a fantastic uh, value-added measure evaluation conference with an administrator that just changed your life that you want to tell us about. Um, so, you know, feel free to share. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just want to start by saying that there are, there are many marginalized students who are out there in the suburbs, Jeff. So, you know, just... 
Shout out to the uh, young black and brown and indigenous folks who are in suburban school systems that I think we've reported on this before, Jeff, um, that like for sure are falling short of, of honoring those students and, and meeting their needs and all of that because, you know, the dynamics of, of the urban sprawl and all that, that is, they're all changing and, and students are all over the place. But yeah, I, I see your point though, for sure. In terms of, um, yeah, those teachers who are in the, the highest need areas, the teachers who are in the areas that have been historically uh, marginalized and, and, and left out of all sorts of conversations about what schools should look like and what uh, how schools should function. Yeah, for sure. I also want to make sure we have effective teachers there, most of all, because those are the students who I think need it the most, even though, of course, we have students in suburbs who are equally in need of those highly effective teachers. But in any case, Jeff, to answer your question, no, I have not had like ever a uh, evaluation that I guess really added to my practice in the sense of enhancing my practice and helping me learn how to improve upon different things that I was doing. And a lot of that has to do with, well, for one, let me just step, take it back a, a few steps. Um, I have not had a an experience where I've taught at a school where test scores were part of my evaluation. Um, never have I experienced what it's like to have your evaluation tied to standardized tests or anything like that. I know a lot of other states have that, had that. And of course, a lot of folks who work in uh, maybe charter schools or schools that do things a little differently than traditional public schools. Um, maybe they've had those sorts of evaluations. Well, for sure they've had those sorts of evaluations. I have not though. So I've never had an administrator sit down with me and you know talk about their observation of me and, and my work and then you know bring in test scores and how my students are doing on the test. I just haven't had that. Uh, and for a good reason, because I think we've, you've, I've said it plenty of times on this, on this show that like those standardized tests largely do not accurately reflect what students have learned and how students have grown over the course of the year. And certainly you can't accurately tie that to individual teachers. Like if, if my students are performing better on their tests this year, like how much of that is me? How much of that is their English teacher who also explores similar themes as, as what I explore in my social science courses? Like, you know, you just, you just can't use them that way, although folks have tried. But I am very, very, very worried, Jeff, that yes, we are likely entering another era where because of the quote unquote learning loss, because of the fact that let's say because of the fact that test scores will be down, like absolutely they are going to be down across the board, probably nationally, there is going to be a new push to bring those scores up. And part of that push will be make sure teachers are being held accountable for whatever they're doing in the classroom. And part of that will include tying teachers evaluations to test scores even perhaps in areas where they didn't used to do that. So I'm really worried about that. I said before we started recording, Jeff, like the next five to 10 years in this profession, I am struggling with envisioning how those five to 10 years are going to be good years for folks in the profession. It just seems like, and I don't want to be fear mongering and I don't want to be overly negative or anything like that. It just seems like there are so many challenges that are kind of coming together that like, I just don't know what it's, how everyday classroom teachers are going to sustain themselves. We've already talked about teachers, you know, teacher shortages and sub shortages and all of that, but just the combination of the pressure to catch students up, so-called, the pressure to make sure your curriculum is 
within the realm of what folks would be con- would consider like fair curriculum that doesn't go too much to the into political ideology, this and that. And then, of course, in states where the curriculum has to be um, strictly adhere to their anti-critical race theory laws and this and that. So the combination of all that, plus the the just increasing need for supports for students that go above and beyond just the academic stuff that a lot of us um, more veteran teachers have been trained in. So teachers, of course, need, I mean, students, of course, need more support, uh, just social emotional support, of course, the mental health crisis right now that I am experiencing in terms of like seeing it in students and seeing students just break down and for, you know, no visible reason that I could see just because of all that they're dealing with. Like the combination of all of these things, of all these challenges, just it, it really worries me that the profession for the next five to 10 years is going to be one that is really asking teachers to just be superhuman. And in many ways, we've always been asked to be superhuman and solve all these problems at once and lift students up and, and be that like inspirational heroic figure that Hollywood makes teachers out to be, or, you know, sometimes would make teachers out to be. We've always been asked to, to, just move mountains with with such little resource. And I think that's just gonna be even more extreme over the next five to 10 years, it seems like. So I'm worried, Jeff, because part of the reasons why I haven't had what I would consider to be really effective evaluations is because administrators throughout my throughout my career, but especially now, have always been over overburdened and overstretched. Like they haven't had the time to really be leaders in the academic practice sense. They've always been tasked with just real just a whole litany of managerial stuff that really isn't about the quality of my lessons or, you know, the, my interactions with students and, and what have you. So um if the if there's gonna be an evaluation system that really does well to build teachers up and to help teachers understand their areas where um, there's limitations or what have you like there's going to be there's going to need to be a lot more resource a lot more support for administrators or for whoever to like work with teachers in that kind of way and I I can't really picture that happening so like yeah I don't want ineffective teachers in the classroom so there's a few different levers that could be used to make sure teachers aren't ineffective right you could you know the the accountability and evaluations to so-called get rid of ineffective teachers, that's one thing, or to pressure teachers into stepping it up, that's one lever, but I don't I don't think that's a positive humanizing way of like uplifting the school system or the profession. And the other way would be to like offer teachers more support and more help in t- terms of like honing their skills and getting better. And that's gonna take an investment in more personnel, more um, just instructional leaders, more just more support in all kinds of different ways that I don't know if that's really going to happen. So then it just leaves me wondering, well, what is it going to look like five to 10 years from now? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm worried, not for myself because I'm a veteran teacher and I'm locked in and all that stuff, but for, we need a lot of incoming teachers to come into the profession because all the shortages, all the things we just talked about. And how are we going to get these new teachers to enter the classroom and stay in the classroom given all the challenges that are happening right now, especially since teachers are still not paid nearly as much as they should be. I'm just, you know, at a time where we need to be convincing folks to enter the classroom, we can't also simultaneously be sending the message that like, you better get these scores up or it's going to be ugly for you. So I don't know, man, I'm worried. I'm worried, but yeah, yeah, maybe I'm not, I don't know. 
that help me understand, Jeff, where, why I should not be worried. How about that? Talk me, talk me off of this. No, this. I started with saying you should be worried. <laughs> Damn it. Because <laughs> the reality is I think there's a, uh, what I see as, as some of the writing on the wall, right, is we're in a moment of a conservative uh, backlash right now against the uprisings of, uh, you know, of 2020, right? Um, right? And we have, you know, also... Uh, along with that, a strong push uh, from the sort of political right collectively against a lot of the stuff that is actually really good for kids, right? So, you know, they're coming for trans youth in sports. They're coming for CRT. They're coming for, you know, um, anything that's even a, a component part of a culturally and historically responsive education. And... Um, and the reality is all the stuff they're coming for is the stuff that is at least attempting to make school a more humanizing space precisely for the types of kids who, are, who often uh, are disproportionately represented at the lower end of these traditional accountability metrics, right? So right. the predictable outcome of this is if like you was already struggling on the test and now people make school a shitty place to be, pardon my language, <laughs> like... You're not going to do better on the test as a result, right? So I and we just have a political climate that uh, you know that I think is, I, you know, is unfortunate uh, in terms of a bipartisan consensus around issues like testing is the you know is sort of the uh, the single gold standard for how we measure success uh, in education, and there's some lip service being given to other sorts of things. But, uh, you know, it's, it's little more than that, right? And there's backlash against that stuff, right? Against social-emotional learning, against, you know, all restorative justice, all these kinds of things. So I, I absolutely think you should be worried. I'm, I am deeply concerned. And, um, you know, and as we, you know, if we say, like, okay, so we should be worried, like, so what else should we do, right? Um, and I, you know, if I had the single answer... Um, I'd probably have a book on the bestseller list right now and uh, <laughs> be hanging, hanging out with a cocktail on a beach somewhere. Uh, but I have a couple of thoughts that, um, you know, that I think would be good to share. And, um, you know, I think, man, well, when I think about teacher evaluation, the, the first thing that comes to mind to me isn't like, what's the right instrumentation to use for measurement? It is actually... Um, which I, which I think for me comes from a place of lack of faith. Like I don't necessarily believe that there is a tool that we're just missing. And if we had that tool, then we would solve the problem, right? I think this is a clustering, this is a cluster of things. A better tool or like process for evaluation is probably one of them, right? But um, more important in that equation from, from my perspective is conditions to enable success, right? And it's interesting because we understand this, I think with a fair amount of clarity when it comes to students, right? So if you remember back in the earlier years of the um, Common Core Standards Shift era, um, there was lots and lots of conversation about rigor and like we have to up the rigor and like students have to bear the cognitive load and like how do we make this shift from a kind of typical classroom culture of kids copying down notes and doing sort of fill in the blanky type of things, right? 
um, to one where students are like students are carrying the discourse in the classroom. Students are critiquing the ideas of others and you know debating and these sorts of things, right? Good stuff from my perspective. Um, but in a lot of those conversations where we kind of came to a point of clarity was rigor, yes, has high expectations. So if there aren't high expectations, it's hard for something to be rigorous. But at the same time, it requires high support, right? Like the conditions for success, the conditions to enable one to engage in productive struggle, the conditions to enable one to engage in deep, rich thought, exchanging ideas with others, right? Have to be in place. Otherwise, the high expectations just become punitive, right? Just become a trap for you to fail. Uh, and that's a sort of downward spiraling, uh, you know, set of phenomena that can take place in a classroom. Um, and so I think like we need to apply a similar type of logic to the teaching profession, which is asking ourselves, are the conditions that would enable success for educators in place? Right. And this brings up a whole bunch of stuff we've talked about, you know, over many years on the show, things like the uh, class size, um, you know, the course load, how many preps do you have? Uh, available planning time, um, you know, supports in place in a systemic way around the school for students with special needs or, you know, students learning English or these sorts of things so that it's not all just on you to solve as a secondary teacher in the 55 minutes a day you get with the kid along with the 37 classmates they have with you, right? Um, or as an elementary teacher, you know, the one of 25, you know, or maybe 30 kids uh, that you have all day, but you're responsible for teaching six subjects to those kids, right? And so, you know, I think we have some tough questions to ask ourselves about, like, before we want to evaluate or, like, put all our energy into the evaluation bucket, we should step back and say, like, have we set up conditions whereby the default should be that every teacher could be successful in these conditions, right? Physical conditions in classroom, uh, professional conditions for the environment in which you exist, right? Um, you know, those sorts of things. And I think the absolute answer across the board, at least in this country, is that's not the case. There are definitely some situations that are way more conducive and way more, you know, set up that way, thanks to, frankly, like the the hard professional work of educators who have created those spaces, swimming against the tide, frankly, in many situations. Um, but I think we would want to have a situation where, where even if you are quote unquote mediocre, you're just like a decent teacher, right? <laughs> or a decent principal or whatever, right? Uh, that the, the conditions are such that you could be what we would deem effective, right? Like the, the sort of, you're good enough to accomplish the job we need you to accomplish because the conditions are right for you to do that around you. Um, and I think it, if we haven't done that, until we have done that, we're going to keep banging our head against a brick wall around evaluation, uh, be, you know, because we have a situation where there's good people who are struggling to be effective because it's, it's really freaking hard, right? Uh, and then you compound it with things like low pay, you know, some of the just like degrading things that educators have to go through with like mold in the classroom and, you know, air conditioning that doesn't right, work right. in the summer and heat that doesn't work in the winter, all that stuff, right? Like, I think we start there. And as we lift 
the conditions for success, right? which is gonna take not only investment of dollars and movement from administration, it's also gonna take movement from unions because we gotta get away from some of these crazy, you know, like um, we, we can't, there can't be any structure on planning time. So people just hang out by themselves and, you know, and do whatever they do. And like teachers who are really committed are doing good work and teachers who aren't are, you know, are just taking a break or whatever. Like we gotta be in a better place from all angles, from my perspective on this equation. Uh, and then we can maybe come back to like, well, what's the right evaluation tool uh, to use? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I agree with all that wholeheartedly. I think what that does, though, is shift the lens on accountability towards folks at the top, right? So towards, you know, district heads, uh, state leaders, towards the folks who have the most direct um, influence on those conditions in the first place, right? So, so yeah, I, you know, in some places, I think out of necessity, it will have to be that way because I, it just seems like unless all the signs are, are false and all the headlines are, are incorrect, it just seems like we're, there's a, a looming shortage in terms of folks entering the profession. Uh, we've seen headlines about like certain teacher ed programs, seeing decreased enrollment and, and all those things. So out of necessity, I think many areas of the country are going to have to focus on getting folks into the classroom, on making the conditions, conditions by which like folks want to be teachers. And, you know, we saw that during the pandemic for uh, certain jobs where, you know, folks weren't, weren't applying and folks were walking away because the pay was just too low. The, like the, the ask was too high. And a lot of those places have had to go ahead and increase their compensation, increase their benefits and, and do things to attract workers. I think out of necessity there, it just seems like there will be areas of the country where out of necessity, they're going to have to make teaching a, um, just, a uh, something that people actually want to do because the pay will be right, the conditions will be mm. better, uh, the respect will be there. I think there, there's going to have to be movement in that direction. Otherwise, there's just going to be a shortage that's just un, untenable. So, that's that's a deep like. Can we just pause for a second and and just let the phrase that you just used sink in for a moment? That we're going to have to make teaching something that people actually want to do. Like it's 2022 yeah. and the richest country in the world. And you just said that with a straight face, and it's a, it's a dead-on statement, okay? So, yeah. yeah I mean, short of man. those first few weeks of the pandemic when it seemed like everybody loved teachers and were amazed at how um, well teachers shifted their entire practice to meet the needs of, of students in the middle of, of a pandemic. Like, aside from those first couple of weeks where teachers were everything, um, it's been nothing but, not nothing but, but it's been a whole lot of very loud attacks, uh, calls for teachers to submit all their lesson plans before the first day of the school year, calls for cameras in the classroom. I saw, you know, some 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 state was considering that. Uh, calls for teachers to respond like immediately to parent concerns about uh, curriculum and and just help students allow students to opt out of things like you know learning about uh, American slavery and what have you. So it's been all. Again, I gotta stop using that. It's been largely negative, largely who are these teachers, these these folks who are indoctrinating our kids, largely, oh, these these teachers, you know, they just wanna stay home. They don't wanna open schools because they wanna be comfortable in their own house. They don't wanna this and that. And yeah, so that being said, I can only imagine a lot of young folks who recently started college or in college and maybe would have otherwise considered a career in teaching. 
I, I got to imagine a lot of them have reconsidered because of all of that. Like who, who would want to, like imagine having to submit your lesson plans for all 181 days of the school year. Imagine having to submit all of that before school even starts because folks are want to see, you know, so-called transparency and make sure you're not indoctrinating kids and this and that, whatever. Imagine having to like respond to parents who think like because you're teaching about um, name any great, excellent um, black person in American history, because you're teaching about that, you know, isn't this critical race theory? How come you're teaching about race? My kid doesn't see race. Why are you trying to force them to see race? Like imagine dealing with all that on top mm. of test scores are too low, which I mean, pandemic. It's just like, why would anybody want to set themselves up for that? So, so yeah, so all that being said, I think even in areas where they might be thinking, okay, we got to, you know, have this accountability measure for teachers. We got to evaluate them and, and, you know, really pressure them to get these scores up, man. Will you even have enough teachers around to evaluate with that, with that mindset? So I think they're going to have to, to your point of, um, creating the conditions for success. I think some some areas are going to realize that that that's going to have to come first because otherwise, you know, you got all these evaluation measures for for what? rotating subs. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, let's hope. Let's hope cooler heads prevail and uh, we you know, we don't continue the sins of the past, uh, so to speak, um, from No Child Left Behind and Race to the Top, and that the bipartisan consensus around education is a little more wise than it was, you know, over the last 22 years, because, um, yeah, it, it could get rough if we if we repeat some of those same mistakes, man. So Yeah, man. You remember, Jeff, yep. um, early on in the, in the early 2000s when the U.S. was beginning the 20-year invasion and occupation of Iraq and Afghanistan. Remember how many cars had those yellow ribbon bumper stickers that said support our troops? Like you saw support our troops like all over the place. And, you know, those little bumper stickers, I just feel like they're, they're just ubiquitous. And obviously, you know, we're not here to talk about how disastrous those uh, those wars were and how much of a, a um, just how tragic they were, especially for the uh, folks who lived in those those nations. But it just, it, we need a campaign that lifts teachers up and changes the narrative around what teachers do and the service that they perform for our democracy. Like we got to get something going. I just wish our nation could really rally around the teachers who through no fault of their own are, are tasked with helping these young folks come out of this pandemic and enter this more highly connected world where so much is going on and, and help students discover their own humanity and the humanity in others and learn what it means to be a, a member of a hopefully healthy, effective democracy in, in world, you know? So I don't know, man. I just wish we could uplift teachers in that kind of way. It's just a dream. It's just a dream, Jeff. But I've always been thinking that ever since the wars began of just like, man, what if we actually honor teachers to that level? What if like there was a parking spot outside of Lowe's that said teacher parking only, you know, they have those veteran parking. And this is not meant to knock veterans by any means, but just like, man, I, I kind of think we need to support our teachers to that level, man, because mm. um, the outlook is not great. Anyways, yeah, I, I feel you, man. All right, folks. You. Man, all right, we're not going to end on a, a gloomy note. Instead, I want to first 
shout out uh, Two Dope Teachers and a Mic. Um, if you haven't checked out their their podcast, they you know they appeared on our show I think once or twice, and we were on their show uh, before. But they they recently crossed eighty thousand downloads, which is super big time for two uh, classroom teachers doing it big. So shout out to uh, the good folks at Two Dope Teachers and a Mic. Shout out to Zakia Jackson. If you missed our most recent full episode with Zakia, uh, that to me was a, a very inspiring, uplifting conversation uh, around the the faith based case for educational justice um, for our public schools. Um, definitely go back and check that out. We will have a super dope guest upcoming, but because of some, you know, just how difficult it is to conduct this show and be full-time educators and try to have some semblance of a life outside of the show and school, uh, it might be an, an extra week. So you might get another passing period next weekend, but uh, our next guest is, is you don't want to miss this, this next guest. Uh, she is phenomenal and she's doing phenomenal work and has been doing phenomenal work for quite a while. And I'm looking for definitely some, um, some hope through that conversation as well, because Jeff and I sometimes can maybe somewhat um, dwell on just how much of a catastrophe everything is around us because everything is a bit of a, a catastrophe, but uh, there is always hope. We will always obviously, of course, do our best and continue to move forward as we are doing, Jeff and I, and uh, all of y'all are doing out there in the AOTA family. Uh, Jeff, anything else before we get out of here? Uh, did you did you want to mention who our upcoming guest is, Manuel, or are we, are we making it a teaser? Um, I mean, I mean, I guess we can. Part of me always thinks like, hmm, until we actually record with the person, let's, let's not say it because what if something happens, you know, internet drops, schedules get mixed yeah. up and then we yeah, don't. Yeah. And then it's like, uh, that, that's, that's the only reason I'm, I'm not meaning to yeah, tease let's, people. Let's but. not count our, count our chickens before they hatch. I don't know if that's the right metaphor to use, but, uh, I feel you. We'll, we'll just leave that right there. That's what they call a teaser folks here in uh, show business. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. All right, folks. Well, it is halfway through Black History Month. Please, please enjoy your weekend. If you are listening to this on the weekend, if you are a uh, sports person, uh, I guess enjoy your Super Bowl Sunday, although our um, 49ers are not in it. But we're not again, we're not going to dwell too much on the negative, on the sad parts of, of this. But just enjoy your Super Bowl weekend if you are a uh, sports fan. And if you're not, enjoy hopefully some, some time to uh, just get some self-care in and all that good stuff. All right, folks, so we will see you next week for another edition of All of the Above. We love y'all. Now it's time for you to go ahead and get to class. <laughs>